Welcome to Wicked Crime, a Massachusetts true crime podcast. In this episode, I'll be talking about child serial killer Lewis Lent and how he might be connected to the kidnapping and murder of 10-year-old Holly Peranian that took place in Sturbridge, Mass. in 1993. This episode does talk about abuse and murder of children, so as always, listener discretion is advised. So first off, thank you for being patient. I know it's taken longer than usual for this episode to come out, and originally it was going to be about the murder-slash-suicide of Sinedu Tedesi and Trang Phong Ho, but I felt like due to what's currently happening in our country with the protests over George Floyd's murder and all the unrest, I just I didn't want to focus on that episode. I wanted to switch gears a little bit, so it took more time to research. The story about Sinedu focuses on her mental health and difficulties assimilating to America after coming to Harvard from Ethiopia, and I just didn't feel like the right time to get into that case. So instead, I'm going to be talking about someone who is still alive and very much deserving of our anger because there's a strong chance that this man was responsible for more deaths and disappearances, but just isn't talking about it. And that's Lewis Lent Jr., if you've been listening to my podcast from the beginning, you might remember me mentioning him during the Danny Croto series because there was a time when police believed that Father Richard Levine could have been a suspect in the murder of James Bernardo from Pittsfield, Mass. because he was an altar boy, but I'm not sure if he was even really connected to Levine in any way beyond that. But it later comes out that it was Louis Lent who was responsible for the murder. And I believe when Death of an Altar Boy, the book about... Danny Crota and Richard Levine came out, they didn't even know that Lent had killed him yet, because Fleming doesn't even mention it in the book. But when I found this out, I was surprised that I'd never heard of him. Not like he's killed a lot of people, and maybe that's why he isn't as well known, but I knew I wanted to do an episode on him, because there's a few Massachusetts cases that, like, everyone's heard of. Molly Bish, the Boston Strangler, even if we consider Maura Murray a Massachusetts case, that one's pretty well known. And I also wanted to do an episode on him because he is a suspect in the murder of Holly Peranian, which is one of those big unsolved cases that still are talked about in Massachusetts. I will probably talk more about Holly in the episode I'll eventually do on Molly Bish, since her cases are sometimes considered connected. But if Lent is actually Holly's killer, he would have been arrested before Molly disappeared, which would mean those cases are unrelated. But like I said, we're going to focus on Holly in this episode, and also Lewis Lent and his backstory and what happened with him. We're going to save Molly Bish for another time. Most likely sometime next season, depending on how I go forward with the podcast. So finding info on Lent isn't super easy. It's mostly just news articles about his capture and the murders he admitted to. And there's barely any podcasts about him. I did listen to an episode about him on the Devil You Know podcast. And they had a bunch of background info on him, which I'm going to get into here. I'm just not sure where they got it from. Either they did some really fantastic digging that I was not capable of, or they were actually able to find the episode of 48 Hours about Lent, which aired in the 90s. I couldn't find it, but it does exist according to IMDb. And I really didn't want to watch it. I just, everywhere I looked, it was it was like a few episodes after that, or it was like five seasons away from that episode. It was very weird. So it's out there somewhere. It does exist. I just could not find it and watch it. 
So Lewis Lent Jr. was born in 1950 in upstate New York to Lois and Lewis Lent Sr. He was considered a mama's boy, especially after his parents divorced, and there's a chance that his father was actually abusive towards him and his siblings. His father fought in World War II and sustained a pretty bad shrapnel injury during the war. According to the Devil We Know podcast, it's rumored that he would lock his daughters up in their room so he wouldn't have to take care of them, and possibly abusing them as well, possibly sexually abusing them, and definitely, as far as I could tell, he was physically abusing Lewis when he was a child, which was probably why he never wanted to go visit his father. When he was young, his half-brother George went missing, and though he was later found okay, like nothing bad happened to him, Lewis wasn't allowed to go help with the search because he was so young. So you have to sort of wonder if these two events, like his brother going missing and the abuse of his father, might have contributed to what happened to him later in life and what he did. And I always do find that fascinating. I've mentioned it before, how certain traumas and events can turn a person into a monster. Like, mental health is so important. And I'm not saying that a killer isn't a killer and that they wouldn't have done some of these bad things regardless, but you have to wonder if some of these people were given the help they needed or were taken care of better when they were children, would some of these terrible things have happened? I don't know. It's hard to know. It's definitely a bigger conversation. It's definitely a psychological conversation, and I am not a psychologist of any kind, but I do find it very interesting. And so to continue with Lewis and his backstory, he actually dropped out of high school in the 10th grade in 1967 after he proposed to a girl, which was his thing. He had liked to just propose to women, but we'll, we'll touch on that as we go here. And she turned him down. He ended up also proposing to his younger cousin at some point in time, and she turned him down too and thought it was kind of weird. And her dad was like, I don't want you being around him anymore, which is fair. I don't know why you go propose to your cousin. I don't think that that is very normal. Why he was trying to marry her, I have no idea. But eventually he moved to Florida and he started talking to Charlene Tovey, who he actually did marry in 1972, and they had two children together. After the first was born, he somehow winds up getting arrested while doing a job in Truth or Consequences, New Mexico in 1976, which is this very itty-bitty town. Apparently, he was charged with embezzlement after he was hired to deliver car parts and never actually completed the delivery. He was released and paid for the parts, and that was the only time that I could find that he was ever actually arrested. He was known for befriending kids. Like, there were these three neighborhood girls, one of which was 14, and he asked her to marry him while still married to Charlene, which probably didn't go over well with her, but she waited until... Their second daughter was born before she filed for divorce. And she got custody in 1980 and left Lewis, who seemed to putz around Florida for a few more years before moving back north. And he didn't even seem to really care that Charlene and the girls left him. Police have tried to track down his movements while he was in Florida, but it's pretty likely he traveled around a lot. And they've even considered him in some missing children's cases from that time. But I sort of think his killing might not have started until he moved back to the Northeast. Though I could be totally wrong. I mean, he could have been abducting kids for a long time. And and maybe all over the eastern part of the United States, like along the coast, who knows? That would be a terrifying thought, but not impossible. So he comes back to the Northeast. And it was possibly his lowest point at the time because he was divorced, he was homeless, he was living in a shack. Eventually, a Bible school congregation took pity on him and allowed him to live in their storage room. But he didn't have access to a shower and apparently he stank up the place. 
but he did become an ordained minister during this time. He even befriended the pastor's single daughter, and she was a mother of three, and when he gave her one of his marriage proposals, which he was good at, like I said, she turned him down, and the pastor told her to stay away from him. Eventually, the Bible school closed, and he had to leave, but he started working at the Pittsfield Cinema Center and got an apartment in North Adams. His job was to clean the theater at night for the next day, but even his boss thought he was a little weird, and he locked up certain chemicals so he couldn't get to them. But the kids liked him. He'd give them money for the arcade, take them to movies, he would have sleepovers in the theater. It was the sort of shit that would fly back then, but nowadays would seem weird. And anyone's suspicions of him and his strange relationship with children were confirmed in 1993 when Rebecca Savaris identified Louis Lent as the man who tried to abduct her on the way home from school. Rebecca had been walking home from school in Pittsfield, Mass., when Lent started following her and eventually got her attention, pulling a gun on her and trying to get her to come with him. Rebecca was really smart, and she actually faked an asthma attack, which threw him off just enough that she was able to run away. He tried to grab her, but he only grabbed her backpack, and she was able to slip it off and run. A man witnessed the end of this, and when Lent saw him, he took off in his van. The man who saw everything gave police a plate number, and they tracked Lent down, and he claimed the van belonged to his blind neighbor, and he just drove it sometimes. But inside the van, they found Rebecca's backpack, a gun, knife, duct tape, rope, all clearly like damning items. And once he was in police custody, he first denied that he tried to kidnap Rebecca, but eventually he admitted to it, and the murder of 12-year-old Jimmy Bernardo. So Jimmy was found dead in the fall of 1990 in New Fane, New York, by some hunters who found his body hanging in the woods. But Jimmy was kidnapped in Pittsfield at the movie theater that Lent worked at on October 22, 1990. Lent said that he had an overwhelming desire to have sex with someone and he looked vulnerable to me. Jimmy was riding his bike and planned to meet his friend, but he ran into Lent, who asked if he wanted to help him move some chairs in the theater for some money. He said yes, and it led to Lent threatening him with a knife, binding his wrists with duct tape, and throwing him in his van with his bike as well. Once they arrived at Lent's apartment in North Adams, Jimmy was stripped down to his underwear and taped to Lent's bed while he went to dispose of the bike. Once he returned and after Jimmy fell asleep, Lent cut off his underwear and attempted to sexually assault him, but he couldn't perform. Lent was looking for a successful sexual partner, and if Jimmy could fulfill that role, he would live, but he didn't. This is sort of what Jeffrey Dahmer wanted in a way, but I believe that even if someone who fit the mold of what these killers wanted, it still wouldn't have mattered. Like, even if, even if Jeffrey Dahmer ended up with some sex slave or someone that, like, wanted to be with him and serve him and do everything he wanted, I don't think it would have stopped him from doing what he did. And I think the same is true with Lent. Like, they might have this ideal thing in their head, but getting it, I don't think would, would stop them. And that's another psychological thing. And like I said, I'm not a psychologist, but to me... I just, I don't think it would have mattered, which is unfortunate. And Jimmy didn't fulfill what Lent wanted. So he taped up his eyes and mouth and his wrists, and he drove him out to the woods in New York. And in the Devil We Know podcast, he mentions that, like, can you imagine the car ride that Jimmy had to take from North Adams, Mass. to New York? Like, that is not a short car ride. So I can't even imagine being this kid taped up in the back of this van, eyes and mouth taped, and you're getting driven by this, like, horrible man four hours to just to go die. Like, it's really, it's horrible to think about. And when they got to the woods, Lent strung him up by his neck and he basically hung him to death. Lent confessed to this murder and it's a good thing he did because if he didn't, 
the case might have caused problems because apparently the police who were on the scene tampered with evidence and actually falsified fingerprints for seemingly no reason. I do believe they got in trouble for this. They mentioned it in the Double We Know podcast, but that's another thing I didn't I didn't find too much info on. But you can only imagine what would have happened if Lent didn't come forward. Would they try to frame someone else for killing Jimmy? Very strange. Lent also ended up confessing to the murder of Sarah Ann Wood from Norwich Corners, New York in Herkimer County. Sarah went missing on August 18th, 1993, which happened to be my first birthday, so that's very, like, jarring for me to think about, while she was riding her bike delivering newspapers. All that was recovered was her bike and some of the supplies she had on her. Since her body was never found, they didn't know what happened to her until Lent confessed to murdering her. He said that he was driving around looking for a victim and came across Sarah, who he threatened with a knife, and got her into his van where he drove her into the woods, sexually assaulted her, and then bludgeoned her to death with a tree branch before burying her in the ground. He didn't even check to make sure she was dead because apparently he didn't want to touch a dead body, which is very weird to me. So many murderers kill because, like, that's the motive for them to kill and do something bad to a dead body or, or enjoy the pleasure of killing someone but he didn't even want to touch a dead body. So for him to kill, but not want to inter, not interact, I guess, but not want to deal with a dead body, like why, why even kill then? What was, was he worried about getting in trouble? People also theorize that maybe he didn't commit these crimes alone and had an accomplice, or even that he was part of some kind of pedophile killer ring, but there's no evidence of that. But if he didn't like touching dead bodies, maybe an accomplice he had did. But like I said, it was never actually proven that he had an accomplice or was part of some pedophile ring or what have you. And a lot of Lent's case is just sort of theories. Like, he actually dragged his feet telling investigators where Sarah's body was, and eventually they ended up searching the Adirondacks where he said that she was, but they found nothing. And he made it sound like he wouldn't actually tell them where he buried her because he buried someone else nearby and he didn't want them to be found, which obviously alludes to the fact that he killed someone else. And there's a good chance that he did kill other other kids, but like I said, a lot of it's just, just theories or, or thoughts. Like no one's really sure who else he could have he could have killed because he hasn't said anything. But he wasn't exactly charged with Sarah's murder, only Jimmy's, because Jimmy they actually had a body. Sarah they still don't know what happened to her or where she is. And being charged with Jimmy's murder, it gave him life in prison on top of attempted kidnapping charges for Rebecca Savarese. And like I said, Sarah Ann Wood's body has never been found, and who knows if it will be. Her family is obviously pushing to, to find it. They have pleaded with him before to try and find it or have him help point police in the right direction, but there's been times where he's walked into a courtroom seen them, gotten cold feet, and decided, oh, I'm not going to say anything, which to me is, like, completely shitty, obviously, but that kind of thing does happen. Years after this, he admitted to the murder of 15-year-old Jamie Lusher from Westfield, Mass., in 1993. He did agree to help police recover the body as long as he wasn't charged with the murder, which really doesn't make sense to me, because why would it matter at this point anyway if he already has life in jail? He said that he abducted Jamie while he was riding his bike home from Westfield, Mass., killed him, and then dumped him in the Greenwater Pond in Beckett. There wasn't much I could find about the details on this case and what happened to Jamie. He was mentally challenged in some way, where I think he appeared possibly younger than he really was, and maybe even an easier target for 
relent because of it. But you also have to assume that he was most likely a victim of sexual assault, too, like these other kids were. 18 divers from Massachusetts and New York State Police were called in to search the pond, but honestly, it's kind of more of a lake. There's parts of it that are 58 feet deep, and the search was conducted in 2013. This is 21 years after Jamie was killed. And as you can imagine, they didn't find anything. His family knows it's a long shot finding anything after all this time, especially in water. But apparently he was wearing a type of shoe that's meant to last 30 to 40 years. So they're hoping that the shoes or even just the soles might be recovered and maybe prove that he was in there at some point. But finding a body in water, like I said, would, would most likely be hard after time. So even though Lent did confess to murdering Jamie, his body still hasn't been found. According to the Devil You Know podcast, Lent did give some insight into why he did some of the things that he did and what his goal was. At first, he actually claimed that he blacked out during some of these encounters and had lapses in his memory because of aliens. So there's that. Which I feel like sometimes people try and pull this crazy card to try and get out of the bad shit they did, and as far as I could tell, Lent wasn't deemed insane. I think a lot of his problem was that he was scared of getting in trouble. At least that's, that's my opinion. Even with the whole I don't like to touch dead bodies thing, I wonder if he killed his victims because he didn't want them to tell and get him in trouble. Like, maybe he didn't even want to necessarily kill, but it was a means to protect himself, and obviously these children meant very little to him. Though he did write an apology letter to Rebecca Savarese for trying to kidnap her, which is weird. Like, did he actually feel guilty, or was he trying to appear like he cared? Lent told police that he was planning on building little cubbies in his apartment where he intended to keep kids locked up until he wanted to use them for sex. And when they searched his apartment, they found evidence that he was trying to build something like that. And it's kind of interesting that he wanted to keep kids locked up when he himself was probably locked up when he was a kid by his father who was taking care of him. He told police that he liked slim young girls between the ages of 12 and 17 who were just beginning to develop. And they weren't attractive if they acted too adult or were 22 or older, which is like obviously gross. And I wonder why he chose boys to abduct too if ideally he wanted girls, but there's a whole slew of reasons I could think of for that. Boys might have trusted him easier, been easier targets for him. Maybe he was attracted to males and he was trying to navigate that through these encounters, but he might not have cared about what gender as long as they were young and he had control over them, because sometimes that's sort of the point. It doesn't matter what gender the kid is, sometimes pedophiles, I don't know if they necessarily care. It's just very dark and weird, and honestly, I'm just thankful for Rebecca Savarese getting away how she did because... It led to Lent being caught. There are a number of other missing children they think Lent might be connected to, and some of them mentioned in older articles have actually been found and their killers either identified or there's, like, obvious suspects that they have in mind for who could have done this crime, the crimes against these children. Like Sarah Pryor, who went missing in Wayland, Mass. in 1985. All they ever found from her was a skull fragment and nothing else. The prime suspect was John Wordy, who had killed a girl in Dallas, Texas in 1967, and was also a suspect in the disappearance of another girl, Catherine Malcolmson. Some of these cases just had better suspects than Lent. Like, he he was a possibility, but obviously there was someone who fit the bill better. And some of the possible victims are kind of old, and I just don't know if he would go after anyone older than 17. But who knows? The thing is, too, it's obvious that Lent traveled around a lot. Like, driving four hours from North Adams to New York to jump Jimmy Bernardo's body. 
So this brings us to Holly Peranian, who went missing from Surbridge, Mass., and I don't think it's much of a reach to have Lent as a suspect. Surbridge is a two-hour drive from North Adams, where Lent lived, but only a 40-minute drive from Westfield, where Jamie was abducted. So I don't think it's impossible to think that he could have gone there, especially considering that he was constantly moving between the Berkshires and New York, and the fact that Surbridge and Westfield are all along Route 20. Not only was he frequently in Massachusetts and New York, but he was apparently in Vermont, pulling the same shit too, because an 11-year-old girl from Bennington, Vermont, recognized him on the news because he had tried to grab her while in a Kmart with her father, and both her and her father picked Lent out of a six-person lineup when asked who the man was who tried to abduct her. So, not only is this guy in Massachusetts and New York, which, okay, we knew that, but he could have been doing this to kids all the way up in Vermont. And if you're saying Vermont, then why not throw in New Hampshire for that matter, too? So, you can only imagine what he could have been getting up to if it was further than just New York and Massachusetts. But also, was he that prolific? It's hard to tell, and we're not going to know unless he gives more information or there's some kind of evidence that gets uncovered that directs him to a victim. So let's assume that Molly Bish and Holly Pranian aren't related, which they probably aren't, but they could be. We're going to talk about that in another episode, like I said. And let's look at Lent as a possible suspect. On August 5th, 1993, Holly was 10 years old and visiting her grandmother in Surbridge, Mass. Her and her five-year-old brother, Zachary, went down the street to a neighbor's house to see some puppies, but it was just her brother that returned, and he didn't seem to know what happened. He was just five, after all. But he did say that Holly told him to go home without her. Did she maybe know something bad was happening and she tried to keep him safe by sending him home? Her father, Richard, immediately went out to look for her, but all he found was her shoe. She'd been attending camp that week, and they told the kids to leave something behind if they ever got taken by someone, so there's a chance that Holly left her shoe behind on purpose. That's at least what her grandmother thinks. There was a search for her, but they didn't come up with anything, and it wasn't until October 23rd that her remains were found by hunters in a wooded area in Broomfield, Mass., which is, like, right down the street from Sturbridge. The cause of death couldn't be determined. The only real suspect, and I'd say loosely at that, is David Pouliot from Springfield, who frequented the Brimfield area. Unfortunately, he passed away. The former Hamden County District Attorney, Mark Mastriani, said in 2012 that there was forensic evidence that Pouliot or someone associated with Pouliot was at the scene when Holly died. But he also said that Pouliot isn't actually a suspect, which is weird to me. You have to wonder what sort of evidence they uncovered that put Pouliot on the radar, but that also didn't make him a suspect. Like, maybe it was just proof that he had been in the same area, not that he was there at the exact time Holly was killed. But could Len have done this? Honestly, I think yes. He liked to drive around and find random kids, and the timing fits pretty well. It would have him killing both Holly and Sarah Ann Wood in the same month, though, so 13 days apart. But we already know he traveled all around, so it's not like it's unheard of that he'd be traveling back and forth from Massachusetts to New York. And she definitely fits his ideal victim. Not that I want Holly to be gone, obviously, like, that, it's a, it's a tragedy. But I'd rather know that Lent was the one who did this than thinking that there was someone else just as evil operating at the same time who was abducting and killing kids. It's just, there's just too much, like, darkness in the world sometimes to think about that. Police actually believe that Lent could have over eight victims or more. They're not sure because he's not talking about any more victims and they can't put him 
with any more victims, even though he, he is suspected of a, of a number of them. I mean, he even said himself that someone else is buried where he put Sarah. So saying that he was responsible for Holly's death isn't so far-fetched to me, since it's still unsolved, and there's definitely at least one unknown victim out there. And unless more info comes up about this Pouliot character, I think Lent should definitely still remain a suspect. And he might even admit to it, since he's come forward a few times to admit to murders. And there's a very good chance he committed more than just Jimmy, Sarah, and Jamie's murders. He's currently in jail in Massachusetts right now, so... I think there is a possibility he might come forward. I hope he does because it might give a lot of families some answers about what happened to their kids. And there really isn't much we know about what happened to Holly Peranian, but he is a strong suspect in my opinion. But if she does end up connected to Molly somehow, then maybe there is some sort of weird killer that we don't know about that, that operated in Massachusetts that was killing girls in that area. But we will get into that in, in another episode. So, thank you for listening. I know this took a while for me to get this episode out. It just, it, I ended up doing like double the research this time and I'm also kind of back to normal life in a way with my job and so I'm, I'm much busier than I was, especially with this time of year. I'm, I, I get really busy where I work. So, I just want to thank you for your patience. Thank you for listening. I will be doing one more episode in this first season of the podcast. I might have a guest with me on it. My my friend, she might be joining me. She's a big podcast fan. I believe I might be tackling the Boston Strangler as like the big finale, but I might choose a different one, something a little less known because there are a lot of little cases that are around and interesting. If you want to find me on social media, you can look up Wicked Crime on Facebook or you can also go on Twitter. I have a Twitter. It's Wicked underscore crime. You can also check out the website that I post all my sources on, pictures, links, what future cases might be, and that is wickedxcrime.wordpress.com. There you can find a link to the Devil We Know podcast if you want to listen to that and learn a little bit more about Lewis Lent's life. That was one of my biggest sources while researching this podcast episode. And my theme song is by Kevin McLeod. And I'd love to hear from you guys. If you had a theory about what happened to Holly Peranian, or if you think Lewis Lent might have been responsible for another murder that has been still unsolved or disappearance has been unsolved, we can talk about it. You can let me know because there's definitely a possibility, as I said, that he is associated with a lot more crimes than we think. As always, and especially now, just look after yourself, but look after each other. Be kind to each other. Be vigilant. Take care of yourselves, take care of each other, all that good stuff. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you in the next one. Bye.